0: Hi, everybody. Today is Saturday, the 11th of June 2022. And welcome to the Scottsdale Big Book Study, where we will also read the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Maria F., and I'm a recovered kaputsful and I'm from County Dublin in Ireland. I'll be your host for today's study. Our co hosts are Nancy J., Sue L., and Joanne N. If you've any questions or any concerns during the meeting, please contact either myself or any of the co-hosts, and you can do this by private message in the chat function. Please note that the speaker Harlan G will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the question and answer session which follows will not be recorded. And we've put a link to the previous week's recordings in the chat function. We are currently on week number 101. We ask that if you could please keep your microphones on mute at all times during today's study, and also please turn off your video if you are exercising, eating, or if you need to step away from your screen for any reason. We also ask that you refrain from making use of the chat function, even to message other attendees privately, just so that we can all be present with each other in the workshop today. Um, And now we will turn over the meeting to Harlan G. Good morning, Harlan.
1: Good morning, Maria. Thank you very much. and, And thank you for your service. And thank you for all the people that make this possible. And thank you for your continued, everybody's continued Seventh Tradition. Uh, contributions, things like that, because this is not free. This costs money to maintain. And uh, we're just so happy that you have supported it throughout the time that we've been doing it. It's nice to be back. It's, it's nice to go away every once in a while, and but it's so nice to be back with all of you. It's fabulous. And I won't be going anywhere till the end of July. I'll give you the dates on that. In case it's something you want to do, but we're not going to be meeting on the 23rd of July. That's the 23rd of July, because on the 22nd, 23rd and 24th, I'm going to be doing big book up in Flagstaff, Arizona, on the campus of Northern Arizona University. So I'm looking forward very much to that because it gets me out of the heat. There's no there's no extreme heat up there. It's at 9,000 feet. So you don't have to put up with the intense heat of July here in the desert. I hope you're having a great day. I hope that yesterday, June the 10th, because this is June 11th, 2022. I hope you took a second. If you didn't, take it today to take a second and bow your head that our way of life The 12 step way of life began on June the 10th, 1935. And June the 10th, 1935 is celebrated in Akron, Ohio with a celebration second to none And it is Founders Day. It is the day of Dr. Bob's sobriety. Now, I'll let you in on a little secret. His first day of sobriety is really June 17th. They, Bill and Bob were not great at remembering dates, but since June the 10th is what's in the book and June the 10th is what we celebrate, then so be it, because it really doesn't matter that much. But just for the sake of accuracy, it was June the 17th. If you Google The American Medical Association Convention, 1935, you'll find that he could not have been home by the 10th because it started on the 10th and ended on the 17th. And that was the day that he really got sober. But that aside, just don't put a pin in that. Let's just always hang our head on June the 10th, because that's the day that this way of life started. We've been talking about chapter three, more about alcoholism. And this chapter emanates from the knowledge that came from one of the four books that framed the big book. When I say framed, I mean heavily influenced the big book. And the big book was heavily influenced by these four books. The book of James, New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount, Emmett Fox, the varieties of religious experience by William James. That's why you have the stories in the back of the book. And the fourth book is what we're going to be concentrating on this morning. And that book is called The Common Sense of Drinking. And it was written by Richard Peabody. And Richard Peabody, he died of his own alcoholism in 1936, just six years after this book came out. In 1930, he died of his own alcoholism. He fell short of finding a spiritual uh, solution to his alcoholic problem. He believed that the relief that he sought was in the changes to his friends, changes to geography, changes to different things. And of course, we know today that that's simply Doesn't work, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater because Richard Peabody had a lot of things that he got one hundred percent correct. Let's take a look at those things. He believed that the disease was permanent, and the line in the big book that says "once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic" comes from the knowledge that. Peabody gives us that this is not something that will ever go away. And unfortunately, what we see so much of the time is something that I felt uh, privy to in my relapse, my last relapse, I kept doing the same meetings, the same food plan, the same contacts, the same level of activities. And it came back to bite me because the disease in its progressive form preys on my complacency. And what I've learned in my recovery is it is vital to my survival to keep doing more and dig deeper and do more and different. So I don't give up the meetings that I go to. I go to Scottsdale Zoom meetings Sunday through Friday. I do this. And then on Saturday night, which is tonight, We at Scottsdale recommend sort of our sister meeting, the family afterward, and the family afterward is a fabulous speaker meeting that comes out of New York City, and it is just a fabulous speaker meeting, and it begins at 8 p.m. Eastern time. That's 8 p.m. Eastern time, the family afterwards. But I still go to other meetings that I don't normally go to. And because of Zoom, it's so much easier for me to do that. And I have to remember that the disease is not only permanent and progressive, as we're going to be discussing this morning, left unchecked, it is 100% fatal. And you've heard me talk about this for a long, long time. We don't have to die from the disease. We can die with the disease. And there's a vast difference. If I die from the disease, that means that I'm going to die as the result of compulsive overeating, diabetes or heart or, or kidneys or God knows what fatty liver, God knows what's going to take me over, but I'm going to die of this disease. I can die with this disease by being in recovery. And of course, we're all going to die. But as I remind you from time to time, I will get the opportunity to live until I die, many of my father's friends, not all of them, but many of his friends came out of the concentration camps in Europe. And they were people who came to America from what was called DP camps. What is a DP camp? It's a displaced person camp. The displaced person camp camp Spit them out into Canada, spit them into South America, and spit many of them into the United States, and also spit some of them into what was then called Palestine, which became the state of Israel. Without going into that all, but they would grab my face and they would say to me, "Live until you die." And for a long time, I thought "live until you die" means I'm going to eat all the Reese's peanut butter cups and milk. milk duds, and Kit Kat bars that I can get my hands on because man, that's living. But it took a while, but I found out, no, that's not. That's terrible. That's a horrible way to live and a horrible, horrible way to die. So it's permanent, progressive, and fatal. With that in mind, the permanent, progressive, and fatal part of it, we're going to examine somebody today that illustrates what I've just said perfectly. And in typical divine fashion, the big book is going to tell us a story for all time. Let's go to page 32. Page 32. We're in the chapter more about alcoholism. And on page 32, we are going to begin today with the words, a man of 30. So I'm going to give you a second to get there. And what we're going to again look for are the progressive properties, the permanent properties, and the fatal properties of the disease when they are so brilliantly, beautifully, and so perfectly illustrated in our big book of AA. Let's take a look at page 32 a man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. What does that mean? He would get drunk, really bad drunk, and then he'd lay off for a while. Then he'd get really badly drunk and lay off for a while. See, I was an everyday eater. I, I ate compulsively every single day of my life. But for the 114 people here, There are 114 different manifestations of some of this stuff. Yes, we all have the allergy. Yes, we all have the twist of the mind. Some of you did not eat compulsively every day. Some of you were spree or what we call binge eaters. So you may have manifested like this. He was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. So he was very nervous. And what did he use to settle himself down? More booze. He was ambitious to succeed in business, but saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control, whatever. Let's take a look at that before we move on so we don't just ignore something very, very important. Like all of us, he had ambitions. Now, he saw that this drinking was getting in the way. And you would think if he were like me, he couldn't do much about it. He better, he better battened down the hatches on pure, unadulterated willpower. In other words, he became a dry drunk. He became someone who diets with group support. He didn't work steps. He didn't know about steps. He didn't have contact with AA. He just realized, hey, I need to give up this liquor, but it was always in the back of his mind. So let's take a look with that in mind with what we're, where we're going to go from here. He's a dry drunk at this point in his life. He was ambitious, but saw he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control, whatever. Why not? Because of the physical allergy, because of the craving. Remember that Dr. Silkworth tells us in the doctor's opinion that any description of 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 this disease, which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. And this physical factor is very, very important because the physical part means that once that sugar is inside of me, once that milk dud is inside of me, that m M&M, m that whatever that may be, Doritos or whatever pizza, once it's inside of me, I will not be able to control it. The big book tells me I cannot enjoy and control my drinking, my eating at the same time. If I'm enjoying it, I'm not controlling it. If I'm controlling it, I can't enjoy it. Very important that we give that shout out to the reason why he had no control because of the physical allergy. Let's continue. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. Very hard promise to live up to, but he had amazing willpower. Willpower certainly beyond anything I have ever had. Let's continue. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years. 25 years, he remained bone dry. We're gonna circle back to that. And retired at age 55. Let's take a look at what we just read. Oh, after a successful and happy business career, sorry. Now, let's dispel something that many of us have have had come back to hurt us. And what is it that we have believed that has come back to hurt us? We have believed that abstinence alone will treat the illness and it does not. He remained bone dry for 25 years. It didn't change a thing. So this is very, very important because so many of us are like me in that I believe that after a long period of abstinence and a weight loss to to knock your socks off, I could go back and eat like other people. And the truth is I cannot because no matter how long I'm abstinent, whether I'm in recovery or I'm just dieting. And I want to make that distinction, whether I am in recovery or I am just dieting with poop support, it does not matter. The result is the same abstinence from, from my compulsive overeating does not treat this disease. Now, he was 55 years old when he, when he gave up the ship and wanted to drink again. And this is something to note. He did not pick up where he left off. He picked up at a much worse spot than he had ever seen. There was a trap door to the bottom he had known. Why is that? Because the disease as we age gets worse. The disease does not get better because I'm in recovery. The disease is getting worse. My recovery is getting better because I work my butt off for it, but the disease in me is getting worse. If I picked up candy, pizza, God knows what. If I picked up candy today, I would be much worse than anything I have ever seen because I've been abstinent for 23 years. And in the 23 years that I've been abstinent, this disease has progressed within me. It has gotten worse. My physical allergy is worse. My mental twist is worse. So the disease continues getting worse, whether I'm eating or not. Now, don't go and call somebody and say, that Harlan, he said that we don't have to be abstinent. I did not say that. What I'm saying is abstinence alone will not treat your disease. How do you know that? If it did, diets would work for people like me, and they don't. See, all the diets help me lose weight. Every one of the diets that I've been on, and I have probably been on as many diets as as there are stars in the sky. I've been trying to control my weight and control the intake of food since I was five, six. I have been on diets when I was five and six years old. They work for a very short period of time, but I can't stay on them because the buildup of emotions, the fear, the anger, the happiness, the joy, the, the sadness, the jealousy, the guilt, the shame, the remorse. The only relief my brain really knows is through the ingestion of foods that cause something within my brain called the effect. And that effect is a sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating certain foods. And Dr. Silkworth tells me that this effect is so, so wonderful that I will pursue it to the gates of insanity or death. And that's why I was eating. I didn't eat because I liked the taste of the lousy milk duds. I didn't eat because I liked the taste of the lousy ice cream sandwiches. I saw a kid yesterday, he was eating an ice cream sandwich. I thought to myself, boy, that was me. That was sure me, you know, back back in the day. But the bottom line is, is that I didn't eat because I liked the taste of it. I thought I did. If you put me on a lie detector, I'd tell you that I did. But no, 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 not true. I ate those things because they created within me this effect. And although I know it's injurious, I know I'm killing myself. I will not be able to tell the true from the false. What does that mean? That I think today's Wednesday or that I think I live in New York? No, it means that I will tell myself that milk duds are okay and I'll be fine this time when my life doesn't illustrate that I'll be fine this time. My life illustrates that the ingestion of one milk dud is gonna lead to the ingestion of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of binge food. I better change that with inflation. I better start saying thousands and thousands because my God, <laughs> I better change that to uh, adjust for the current inflation. I, I better I better check that in my head, huh? Okay, let's continue. So we've made the point that he's stopped drinking. He's He's been sober for 50, 25 years. Now he's 55 years old. Then he fell victim to belief, which practically every alcoholic has. This next sentence is very key to my recovery because it's an instruction. Remember, this is a textbook. This is not a novel. It's not a book of short stories. It wasn't written to entertain you it wasn't written to inf- to do anything but inform you so that you don't have to die from alcoholism you can die with alcoholism the next sentence is very key and the only way i remember it is to teach it to everybody teach it to others on an everyday basis that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men this is the false belief which practically every alcoholic has. Very, very important. It is false. I'm going to repeat it again because it's vital. This is the false belief that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. What did we say from the very beginning of today's session? What did we say during this chapter what did we say during bill's story bill had periods of sobriety which renewed his wife hope but then he would come home drunk he had a long period of sobriety and he was pounding on the bar after going into a cafe to make a phone call he was pounding on that bar wondering how it happened but he might as well get good and drunk now And he did. Does that ring a bell? I sure hope so. I sure hope that it does. Because of the physical allergy, he could not control his drinking and enjoy it. Because of the mental twist, he couldn't control it and enjoy it either. Once he clamped down on his drinking, he couldn't enjoy it. Once he started drinking, he couldn't control it. Okay, let's move forward. In two months, now I want you to make note of that. Not in two years, not in two decades, in two months, he was in a hospital puzzled and humiliated. That's how fast it happens. That's how fast it happens because the progression of the disease is such that it sneaks up on you because you do not get an illustration of the progressive nature of the disease until it's too late, until you're in the disease. I don't wanna tempt fate. I don't wanna go out there today and order something for lunch that I know I should not have. I don't wanna stop off at the store and get candy to tempt this disease. Because in two months, he was hospitalized, puzzled and humiliated. Do you remember when we said, the disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. Yeah, he fell victim of this false belief. And he was in a hospital in a very short time. What do I think? The 4th of July, I have binged, the 4th of July is coming up here not too long from now either. I remember I was, I had been on a diet for a while and I had lost a hundred pounds or so. And I remember going to a 4th of July picnic. I don't remember exactly what year, but I was in uh, college at that time. And I remember binging my brains out. It started off with a hot dog and the bun and ketchup. No, I didn't put ketchup on a hot dog. I'm kidding. I, I'm from Chicago. We don't put ketchup on hot dogs, but I put mustard, I put some, but I ate the hot dog, and I ate the bun. I ate enough food at that picnic so that a family of 12 could have, could have feasted on what I ate at that picnic. And I ate on the way home at every damn convenience store, every damn drive-through that I could hit because I had triggered the physical allergy. That 100 pounds that I lost was back on my body faster than you could say A, B, C. By the time I was a sophomore in college, I was 500 pounds. By the time I graduated college, I was 600 pounds. So losing the weight, being abstinent did not help me. Let's continue. He tried to regulate his drinking for a while, making several trips to the hospital meantime, he's bad. You gotta be pretty bad for them to put you in the hospital. Then gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. So the discipline that worked when he was a young man would not work when he was an older man. And that's what I found in me too. The willpower the discipline, the resolve that I could use when I was a young man of five or six or seven would not work for me today, that's for sure. Because my disease has gotten worse and worse and worse, but my willpower has not gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. If anything, it has gotten weaker and weaker and weaker. And when you're young, the furnace of your your digestive system, the furnace that burns the food and your skeletal and muscular system to work off the food is in high efficiency. Every day that I'm lucky enough to get up, every day that I'm lucky enough to awaken, every day that I'm lucky enough to breathe air out of the atmosphere, I am getting worse because I am further away from the maximum performance of my hips, knees, back, arms, shoulders. I'm further away from the maximum performance of my digestive system. So the aging process aids and abets the disease so that the disease will constantly get worse And worse and worse. I'm very lucky. I've got a new lease on life in in certain areas, a lot of areas. I'm still alive. That's nice. Um, But I've got new hips. I've got new knees. So I can walk three miles a day, six days a week, which I thank God for because if I didn't have the new hips and I didn't have the new knees, I would be in a wheelchair and I'd probably be dead already because I wouldn't be able to move my body like I can now. So it's very, very different. I'm very, very lucky to be alive. Doctors have been signing my death warrant. They've been signing my death certificate since I was a teenager. They were screaming at my mother. I told you the story here. Uh, I was 17 years old and I was in gym class at Mather High School in Chicago. And I was in gym and I broke my ankle and my mom, Uh, my mom and I went to Edgewater Hospital, which is not even a hospital anymore. It's condos, I believe. And we went there and Dr. Bernstein, who's been dead for a long time, my mother's been dead for a long time. He's been dead for a long time. He started screaming at my mother. He said, he is 17 years old and he's over 300 pounds. How long do you think he's going to live? He said to my mother, I don't see him living past 30. His heart is gonna blow apart. And my mother started crying and my mother was very upset, as was I. What did me and my mother do? Both compulsive overeaters. What did we do on the way home to assuage our feelings of fear and anger? We went for ice cream and vowed with ice cream in our mouth that tomorrow we were both going to stay on our diets. And you guys all know how effective those oaths, those promises are not very effective at all. And by the time I graduated high school, I did ha- I had lost some weight on a diet, but by the time I was a senior in high school, I was 335 pounds. And I was 500 by the time I was a sophomore in college. And as I've stated, 600 pounds by the time I graduated college. Let's continue, bottom of 32, bottom of 32. Then gathering all his forces he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not every means of solving his problem, which money could buy. Notice it does not say problems. So I want to make note of that because on page 45 of the big book of AA, the thesis line says, this is the thesis line of this book. It says the main object of this book is to <clears throat> is to help you find a power greater than yourself <clears throat> excuse me which will solve your problem it doesn't say problems even though my recovery has progressed into solving many, many, all my problems. But it says problem singular. Very important to look at the book and look at the way they use the words. Because see, I believe that the book was divinely inspired. I love Bill Wilson. I love him to death. He's my hero. Was he very you? Please don't assail me in the QA. He did this and he did that. I'm, a, I'm aware of everything, all that. So I'm aware of it. He was, he was quite the he was he was quite the human. He was quite the human being, Bill Wilson. But I believe God used him as a vessel to write the book in everything that I know to be true. He, look, let's, let's take a look at something and I don't want to get too sidetracked here. He was 43 years old with three and a half years of sobriety when the book came out. I've got 23 years of abstinence. I'm lucky if I can knock out a coherent text message. I'm lucky if I can knock out a coherent note on a piece of paper. This guy wrote one of the greatest pieces of spiritual literature that the world has ever seen. This book and its contents here have saved more alcohol Alcoholics, drug addicts, compulsive overeaters, gamblers, sex addicts, love addicts, internet addicts, pornography addicts, whatever you want to keep going on, under earners, and 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 God only smokers and cocaine and heroin and drugs and everything else, then all other methods combined, there is no method of recovery that can come close to the effectiveness of this book. Not yet. Maybe you got a book in you that could could turn that around. I don't know, but all I know is I'm sticking with what works, top of 33. Let's go to the top of 33. Every attempt failed. Remember Dr. Silkworth says, Other methods had failed completely with these people. It says at the top of 33, when the big book wants to tell you something. Now, Silkworth did not write this chapter. Silkworth didn't write one word of this book other than the doctor's opinion. He he didn't write one syllable in this book beyond that. That's it. Every attempt failed calls us back to the knowledge we get from Silkworth that every attempt failed top of 33. Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. Do I have another recovery in me? I don't know. Will I survive another binge? I don't think so. I'm 68 years old. I've had 68 trips around the sun. I could put on 150 pounds by New Year's Day. By this time next year, I believe I would be dead. Now, some of you, I can see your faces. I can't see all of you because all of you don't have your cameras on. Some of you are my age or older. Some of you are very, very young and very, very beautiful. And some of you are whatever you are. Some of you could survive another relapse and you'd be fine, but do you wanna take that chance? Do you want to play with fire? Because eventually if you play with fire long enough, you're gonna get burned. How many relapses are in me? I think one more would kill me and that would be the end of it. He was dead within four years. Was his disease permanent? Yes. Was his disease progressive? Yes. Was his disease fatal? Yes. So let's understand that this disease is not something to trifle with. I take it very, very seriously. Now, If I want to remember something, I have to teach it to other people. And that's why when I sponsor every once in a while, not every day, because then they'll stop hearing it. They won't hear it anymore. Every single week, I say to my sponsees, remember, see, I'm really talking to myself. I'm not talking to them because in the final analysis, it's about what I do. It's not about what they do. What they do, I hope they recover. I hope they all recover. Hey, I I wanna see everybody in Newark. I wanna see everybody in Los Angeles for the birthday. I, I hope that we can all be together. But I remind them, hey, More and different. You got to do more. You got to do different. Shake it up a little bit. Go to some meetings that you've never been to before. Do some things you've never done before. Call some people that will stretch you out. What do I mean by that? Call some people that you don't know. That's a scary thought, right? You know, we have our God squads and we have the people that we speak to on a regular basis and you call them for 10 steps and they call you for 10 steps and you call them and they call you and you go to the same meetings together and you're all friends. Once in a while, go on a vision for you and listen to the people at the beginning of the second meeting that are brand new. Give them a call. Give some of them a call and do something where you don't know the person. You find out on vision or you find out on your Zoom meeting that so and so is on the struggle bus. Hey, give them a call. Hey, it's me. Hey, blah, 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 blah. But it puts you in touch with lowering that ego, lowering that ego by getting out of yourself and doing some things that will help you grow. Very, very important. If you stay the way you are, the disease will catch you from behind. And you will wonder, you will wonder how in the world did this happen? I was going to meetings and I was doing this and I was doing that. The disease sees complacency with the same appetite that sharks see blood in the water. They will attack it. And when they see when the disease sees complacency, it will immediately rear its head, and you will think to yourself, as I have done, I will think to myself, "Hey, I've got this. Hey, I, I understand this. It's okay. I'm just going to be mad at so and so for today. I'm not going to do a ten step on it. Hey, I'm not going to do my 11 step tonight. I'm really tired." That's when the disease is circling around you like sharks. It looks for that complacency. It looks for that that ego-driven madness. Let's continue. We're at the top of 33. This case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we remain sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. I know I believe that and it's not true. But here is a man who at 55 years found he was just where he left off at 30. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in a short time as bad as ever. In my case, much, much worse. He talks about that, you know, he found he was where he left off at 30, I would question that and I would say he was worse off than he was at 30 because when he was 30, he could clamp down on willpower and not drink for 20 years, 25 years, where he couldn't do it now. So he was actually worse. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind or any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. You know, there's many, many things in our world that changes. There are things that change. You know, three years ago, who ever heard of a Zoom meeting? Who ever heard of such a thing as Zoom? I know I didn't. Three, four years ago, many of the things that we take for granted today are things that we didn't know about or or. We weren't aware of them just a few years ago. Alcoholism, not alcohol-wasm. Very, very important concept. Alcoholism, not alcohol-wasm. So when we think we've got this licked, that is the action of the disease in our minds. Very important for me to remember that because I suffered plenty from this disease and I gave this disease decades of my life. And I'll be damned if I'm going to give this disease one more second, not one more second of my life is going to be wasted in the throes of this disease. If I keep to my program, and I hold God's hand with everything I'm worth. As long as I'm holding God's hand, I'm going to be safe and protected as long as I do the work, obviously, not just hold his hand, but do the work that he has laid out for me in the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Now let's continue. We're mid page 33. Young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think they can stop as he did on their own willpower. We doubt if many of them can do it because none will really want to stop and hardly one of them, because of the peculiar mental twist already acquired, will find he can win out. We we have all dieted, There's 148 of us here. That means there's 147 of you that are not me. And I would be astounded at some of the things that you folks have accomplished. Some of you are truck drivers and some of you are teachers and some of you are therapists and lawyers and maybe doctors, nurses, God only knows, salesmen, whatever you are, housewives, it doesn't matter, teachers. I know one thing you cannot do. If you are a compulsive overeater like me, if you're a compulsive overeater like me, you cannot control this disease on your unaided willpower. It's not going to happen. If you could have controlled this, you wouldn't be here today. I'm going to make that assumption. You'd be out living your life eating regularly, normally, eating like normal people, and just living your life. You wouldn't be here with us this morning. Several of our crowd, men of 30 or less, have been drinking only a few years, but found themselves as helpless as those who had been drinking 20 years. Now, Clancy Emmisland is one of my heroes. I loved Clancy and I hope that he's, I don't hope, I know he is sitting there with Chuck C and Bill Wilson and Hank Parkhurst and Ebby and God and all the rest of the people that are at that big meeting in the sky. And Clancy Emerson loved to tell this story. And I heard him tell this story at the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club years ago when he came there to speak. He told the story of a woman who was elderly, she was in her 70s and she had never had a drink of liquor in her life, never had a drink of liquor. She was a very, very strict Southern Baptist. I mean, really, really Southern Baptist. And she just did not consume alcohol at all. Her father was an alcoholic. Her grandfather was an alcoholic, but she, she did not. She was a teetotaler like me told teetotaler is somebody who just doesn't consume liquor. Well, one day she got ill and she her adult children were consulting with the physician who was treating their mother. And she was having some trouble sleeping because of some of the medication that she was on. It was keeping her up. Sometimes medicine can do that to me. It can keep me up. It can rev me up. And the adult children were, it it was suggested to them that they put a little brandy in mother's milk. Mother always drank a little milk before going to bed, that they put some brandy in there and that that would help mother sleep. So they did. And they did this the first night. They did this the second night. They were doing it for a while. By the time several weeks went by, she was drinking alcoholically and died at 80 from active alcoholism. The fact that she had never had a drink before she was in her 70s made no difference to this disease. She was an alcoholic. And because her brain had never experienced the Sensation of the effect, she had no desire to drink alcohol ever. Once the brain was bathed in the alcohol and the effect took it over, the brain said, I like this feeling, go get me some of that. And the body, because she had the physical allergy, she could not control the amount of liquor she consumed once she started so the disease was active in her for over seven decades and yet once she started drinking she died very quickly died drunk lived alcoholically and she was an alcoholic dumpster fire an alcoholic dumpster fire So this disease does not know anything but to kill, to maim, to putrefy, to vandalize, to ruin, to isolate, to spoil to help you loathe yourself, to help you hate yourself in a way that others could not hate you. This disease has its way with you. You will not feel like living. You will beg for death because the disease humiliates you. The disease isolates you. It cuts you off from any support. You will not go to meetings anymore. You will not sit with other people. You will isolate yourself. That's when the disease is rubbing his little hands together saying, I gotcha. I gotcha. And now you're going to die. And this is what the disease wants. Don't let the bastard win. Work your steps. Do what you need to do. Let's continue. Bottom of 33. We're moving pretty quickly today. To be gravely affected, hang on one second. To be gravely affected, one does not necessarily have to drink a long time nor take the quantities some of us have. This is particularly true of women. Potential female alcoholics often turn into the real thing and are gone beyond recall in a few years. I'm not so sure anything runs along gender lines. I don't, I'm not so sure about that. I understand that the book was written in 1937 and 38, published in April of 39. The world was a little different. But if Marty Mann were here, if, Sylvia Kaufman were here. These are pioneer women of AA. They would tell you a very, very different story, a very different story. They would tell you a story of their alcoholism ransacking their lives at early ages and ransacking their lives in ways that are beyond any human comprehension if you don't know this disease. Certain drinkers would be greatly insulted if called alcoholics, are astonished at their inability to stop. We who are familiar with the symptoms see large numbers of potential alcoholics among young people everywhere, but try to get them to see it. Now, the average age of a member of AA is 33. The average demographic of an OA member is 55. 55. Where did I get that from? I was a delegate to the World Service Convention in Albuquerque for two years. I represented the Phoenix inner group, Arizona Serenity in the desert, which is where our meetings, this meeting and our meetings here, the Scottsdale meetings, we are members of Arizona Serenity in the desert inner group. And when I went there, it was pretty shocking to me. But what I have to understand is, is that Oftentimes we come into OA as teenagers, we come, I came in at age 24. Some of you came in earlier than me, some not so much. But like Leah, one of the founders of Vision says, this disease does not tackle you in the same way that alcoholism and drug addiction tackle you. It's like getting kicked to death by a little bunny rabbit. You're just getting kicked and kicked and kicked and kicked by a little bunny rabbit and it's death by a thousand cuts. It's death by 10,000 cuts. And all of a sudden one day you look at yourself and you say, I loathe you. And you look at yourself and you look at a number on the scale and you cannot comprehend how did it come to this? How did we get here? I swore great oaths that I would never weigh over 400 pounds. Then I swore oh I would never weigh over 500 pounds. You see where we're going here. I'm never gonna weigh over 600, over 700. I swore to God that I would not do that. And I was looking at a scale that made me a liar because the scale said, not only have you gone past that number, You've gone significantly past that number because you can't control this. So it's very tough to get people to see this if they have not hit a bottom. And that's why non-compulsive overeaters do not have these various Bottoms. They don't hit these. Well, they may have a little body dysmorphic disorder. They don't want to get beyond a certain size, but they can easily control their intake of food through sheer willpower. They don't have the physical allergy. They don't have the mental twist. Very important. Let's go to the top of 34. As we look back, we feel we had gone on drinking many years beyond the point where we could quit on our willpower. If anyone questions whether he has entered this dangerous area, let him try leaving liquor alone for one year. If he is a real alcoholic and very far advanced, there is scant chance of success. In the early days of our drinking, we occasionally remain sober for a year or more. Bill Wilson remained sober for a year. He entered the hospital in April of 33. Then in April of 34, he's back in the hospital after a short time of drinking because he was worse than ever because of the progressive nature. (sighs) But it was not for the frightful day came when I drank once more. Do you remember reading that line on page seven? For the frightful day came when I drank once more. Very important. Becoming serious drinkers later. Though you may be able to stop for a considerable period, you may be able to diet. You may yet be a potential alcoholic. We think few to whom this book will appeal can stay dry anything like a year. Some will be drunk the day after making their resolutions, most of them within a few weeks. I have a lot of memories of getting up in the morning and cursing God that I was still alive. And I have memories of saying to myself, I'm either I'm going to eat this and I'm going to eat that and effort. I don't care. I'm just going to eat this and I'm going to eat that. And I would go out and do it. I also have a lot of memories of saying to God, I'm not going to eat this and I'm not going to eat that. I didn't say help me. I just thought I could do this on my own. I thought that my unaided willpower would allow me on my own not to eat ice cream or not to eat God knows what, whatever it was I was hankering for that day. And of course, within a very, very short period of time, my car seemingly with a mind of its own, was pulling into the place where I knew what I could get. And I was in that Place of getting it yet again, telling myself that tomorrow things will be different. Monday things will be different. The first of the month things will be different. The first of the year things will be different. And they never ever were. Not until I turned to God and not only said, I don't want to eat ice cream, but I said to him, Help me not eat ice cream. Somebody, send me somebody to tell me what to do so I don't have to eat ice cream. And he did that in the form of you. You have saved my life. Because when God can't come, he sends his children. He sends you. God's with skin. God's with skin on them. And that is what you are to me. And that is what you are to the still suffering people around you. For those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. We are assuming of course, that the reader desires to stop. Please stop sponsoring people who do not want to do this. Please leave them alone. If they are constantly letting you know through their action, they have no intention of taking it seriously, let them, leave them alone for the love of God. Go sponsor someone else. There's someone out there that could really use your help. When someone else's recovery means more to you than it does to them, you are the alamonic one. Get out of their way. Let's finish this paragraph and we'll be done for the day. Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. Many of us felt we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, the utter inability to leave it alone no matter how great the necessity or the wish. No matter how horrible my life got, I would convince myself that everything was going to be okay. Give me an ice cream cone. Give me a French fry. Give me Doritos. And my 500-pound body in my mind will transform into the cloning of Steve McQueen and Sean Connery or God knows who. Give me a bag of M&M's with peanuts, please. These are obviously the people that buy the other M&M's obviously are not Jewish people, but I want the ones with the peanuts. If I'm going to eat M&M's, I want the ones with the peanuts. Thank you very much. But bottom line is once I eat some of those M&M's, I look just like Steve McQueen. I look just like Sean Connery. I look just like Brad Pitt or whoever you want to fantasize about. I look just like Johan in Sweden over there. But the bottom line is, is that that's what happens. And I can also, on the other hand, other end of it now, I've lost a lot of weight. I often see myself as five, 600 pounds. I see myself as a blob. I see myself, I don't see myself as I am. And that's a very tricky thing for me to do. It's very, very difficult for me to see reality. And that's why I have to keep remembering that a solitary self-appraisal proved insufficient. I need the help of a sponsor. I need the help of all of you. Otherwise, I'll look at this pen and this pen says Dublin, 2019 and I never made it to Dublin in 2019. I was on the airplane to get there and they pulled us off and by the time they got us another plane, I would have not gotten there till Sunday, which is when the retreat would have ended and I never made it. But I have a pen that Maria gave me and this is the one I use every day, Maria. I write checks with this baby, I write orders with this baby, I write everything with this pen. But anyway, that aside, where was I going with the pen? I forgot where I was going. That's how famished I can get. But the bottom line is, is that I cannot control and enjoy my drinking. In review, I know I've said it a million times, but you can't say this too much because the brain has a built-in forgetter. The disease is permanent. The disease is progressive and the disease is fatal. Let's before we close for today, before I turn it back over to Maria or Sue, I don't know who. Uh, No one was able to ask a question last week because we did not meet. If you asked a question two weeks ago, would you please hold back? Let people who didn't come forward. We will be meeting again next week. We will have our sessions until the end part of July. And then we'll take a one week hiatus. But for right now, we are good to go. We don't be confused. We are good to go. And um, no math. Oh, for the love of God, no math, please no math, and no food questions, because you would be much better off asking a